Welcome back to the future of figure skating. I'm Anna Keller, and I'm excited to be joined today by author and professional skater Karina Manta. With her ice dance partner, Joe Johnson, Karina competed internationally for the U.S. Karina and Joe made history as the first team where both partners were out as LGBTQ, and Karina was also the first woman skater to come out while competing. It took until 2018 to break that barrier, which is just mind-blowing. Since retiring from competition in 2019, Karina has toured with Cirque du Soleil and won the British reality show Dancing on Ice. Karina's memoir is called On Top of Glass, My Stories as a Queer Girl in Figure Skating. She's a beautiful writer, and I highly recommend it. Karina, thanks so much for doing the podcast with me. I loved your book and have been recommending it to people since I read it and been lucky to get to interview a couple of skaters recently who have told me what a big impact you had on them. Um, Both Caitlin Weaver and Amber Glenn mentioned that felt like they could come out because they'd seen you do it. Truly, you're one of my heroes in skating and very excited to get to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I swear, like, every time somebody says they've read the book, I, like, can't believe it, like, every single time. So thank you so much. That really, like, means a lot to me. And also, yeah, Amber and Caitlin are the best. I love them so much. So this is really special. It's so cool just to even be having these conversations and, like, talking about queerness and figure skating wasn't a thing that was happening a few years ago. So it's just exciting to get to do it. Absolutely. So could you tell a little bit about your story of what it was like for you coming out? And I mean, being a trailblazer is really the first queer woman and to come out while competing internationally. Yeah, I mean, I I always feel a little bit uncomfortable with just like that because it so much of it was circumstantial. Obviously, there were queer skaters in the sport before me. For me, it was a product of timing where I was in a place where I was able to come out. I like to remind people that it's not a, really a choice for a lot of people to be out. It's a matter of safety and a matter of security and like a lot of other factors. Yeah, I guess I'm really grateful that in my career, I felt like I had a situation where I could come out. Amber and Caitlin and Ray Parsons, and I feel like I'm for sure forgetting somebody, but definitely there was sort of a wave of queer women who we found each other around the same time. They had as much of an impact on me as I imagine, like they've said, I've had on them. Just learning that there were more than one of us. So I think we all felt that, especially in the sphere of competitive skating, you just didn't see queer women. So it felt like there weren't any, but there were, we were there. (laughs) And, And as I imagine, we have always been there. And so I'm really grateful we can be visible now. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask you about your experience of figure skating as such a gendered sport and has that shifted for you over time? Did you feel comfortable with the version of femininity that skating allows and how have you navigated that space? I don't want to make like a general statement for everybody, but I don't know if anybody feels comfortable with the version of femininity that skating allows in my experience, even straight cis women. It's very narrow and rigid, um, and for men as well, obviously very heteronormative. I did struggle to some degree with that. Yeah, I was told, I read about this in the book, by, you know, somebody in the sport who had power over me, that I walked like a man, and they said, if judges saw me walking around in a competition, they, like, wouldn't, like, seeing me walk around like that, which is, like, really frustrating for me at the time, because especially as an athlete, you spend all your time investing in something. 
I mean, like something as silly as like the way I'm walking around, you're saying that could affect my scores, which I think does show you just like how far there is to go in terms of like judging and the subjectivity of it, especially in the, you know, ISU like competitive skating arena. It definitely still plays a role. Obviously still the fact that we have like gendered partner roles to begin with and like gendered singles categories. It's just so limiting. I think I found a lot of freedom in professional skating where, you know, there are categories that you have to professionally skate in. I don't want to generalize that all skating is gendered because I think there's a lot of people skating in creative ways and thinking about how to explore maybe gender in different ways than they've seen in competitive skating. But yeah, competitive skating still has a long way to go, I think, to create a space where everybody can feel welcome. Yeah. And that idea that the presentation that you're presenting on the ice is supposed to continue into every aspect of your life off the ice is just wild. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Recently, when Gabby Papadakis did a a documentary and talked about how frustrating she found it that she had to put on makeup to go to the 6 a.m. practice and, you know, the guys didn't have to do any of that. And I think that struck a nerve with a lot of people that even if you're someone who likes wearing makeup, that still doesn't quite seem fair, does it? No, that was so, and I think when we all heard her say that, we were like, yeah, finally someone said it. (laughs) Because it is so frustrating. And I think even like for me, it was a thing where I loved, you know, dressing up. I I loved that facet of skating when I started. It was one of my favorite things. My very first competition, like I knew what kind of dress I wanted um, and like asked my mom to like sew boas onto a little bought from the store practice dress. And then it became so much less fun for me as I got older because it stopped being about how do I want to dress up and present myself? And it started being about like, how do I package myself in a way that's like appealing to a very narrow view of beauty and a very narrow view of art and like expression. It did. It took the fun out of it for me for a while. You mentioned that the choice to come out isn't really a choice that somebody makes so much necessarily as whether their environment makes it be safe for them. What do you think are some of the things that would make skating be a safer environment for more people to be out? Oh my gosh, this is probably a long list. (laughs) And there's a lot of things like systemic and cultural and so many different parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, I can speak first probably to the experience of as a woman or femme partner skating with a man. I think a lot of women in the sport, particularly pairs dance, you're already working from a point of like men are really valued in skating because there aren't very many of them or there aren't as many as there are women. And even from the first, first days I started ice dancing, I sort of understood this like unspoken reality where it was like, if you want to be, you know, a woman in this sport and you want to have a partner who's a man, like you need to constantly be proving your worth. You are always on, I don't know if trial is the right word, but you're always being observed to prove that you're worthy because if not, there are girls who could replace you. And I think this is a fairly universal experience for like women in kind of the elite level of the partnered sports. And so then it, it does make sense that you haven't had women come out because you don't want to create any sort of situation where you are to blame or like you could be the reason to be losing points or you could be the reason a team's looked down on. And I think this is sort of why we got a situation where we had men who were out and then didn't have any women 
been around for a long time. I think I was lucky in that my partner Joe was is an out gay man. So it wasn't like I was, you know, taking away the team's heterosexuality by coming out. And the, it, it did create a much safer space for me. Just and even like having a friend through it who had that was just so invaluable. Um, and, you know, he's obviously a huge support in my life still to this day. Yeah, I think for teams where if the woman is queer and the man isn't, I think it's just I can't imagine how difficult that situation would be because I know the pressures I felt and I was skating with a queer partner as well. And I still felt that pressure of like, oh, I can't do anything outside of, you know, the parameters of what is acceptable. That being said, I think coming out as queer in other capacities, I think gender erasing these categories we have would be a great start for people to come out. I imagine it's difficult to come out in a sport that literally forces you to choose a category if, you know, you consider your gender to be queer in any respect. Yeah, I think even having the conversation about expanding our vocabulary of gender categories and eliminating them um, is another step. I think also like coaching practices on a whole and like judging practices. I think there's a lot of people in the sport who been in it for a very long time and I'm not convinced our systems of educating judges and coaches and then reporting things that comes up I'm I'm not convinced it's the safest for athletes at the moment so obviously that is a huge thing that needs to be addressed Um, I don't have all the answers for that but I do know that I was in the sport for many many years grew up in it and still have friends in it and a lot of us are recovering from that period of our lives now because, you know, we were young and cared a lot and wanted to do the absolute best we could. And it's just like such a vulnerable position. And I'm not sure there's enough education for the people who have like power over young athletes. I mean, the athletes are in the position of having the least power in like in these Olympic sports in some ways more so than in places where like the players can have a players union and they have some, you know, some ability to have some power. Oh my gosh. Every day I say we need an ice skaters union. <laughs> We're not there yet though. But yeah, you're right. And it goes to that point of valuing each individual in the sport as not replaceable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is another thing that I think is a huge factor is like funding for athletes because it's one thing to say we support queer athletes and it's another thing to make the sport actually accessible to them. Joe and I have said we retired because we couldn't afford to keep competing, which is why we moved to the professional sphere. And like, I'm really grateful for the professional opportunities we have. And I love skating in this capacity, but yeah, I think definitely if the sport genuinely does want to be more diverse and if people kind of back up those statements, that means providing funding to athletes who are diverse in many ways beyond just queerness. That conversation about funding is definitely something that I'm really interested in. I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough in skating. People don't like to talk about money, but <laughs> there's a lot there when it comes back to those questions of who has power. Mm-hmm. Actually, one thing that I was curious about, so 
when you were pretty young, you moved away from home in order to train and do ice dance and had the experience of living with a host family. And it seems like some of that was positive and some of it less so, but I'm curious what you think about this sort of facet of elite skating that makes it almost a requirement unless your family can move with you that um, you end up with quite young people moving away from home. And I think in some cases that can lead to separation from support system, more opportunities for abuse or that kind of thing. But it also feels hard to imagine elite skating in a way that doesn't have, you know, those training centers in that process. So it's just something that I I think about because I'm not sure I see a way what the way past that is. And I'm curious how you would reflect on that at this point in your life. Definitely. It is a thing that like, when I tell people about, you know, my teenage years who are not involved in the skating world, I met with some like, absolute horrified looks like oh you're allowed to just like live with other teenagers (laughs) um but I will say actually I do look back on that as a very positive experience you know I I was with a host family but it was me Jason Brown and Brittany Simpson were together a lot like kind of just taking care of each other and it was a really positive experience and we did take care of each other but yeah we were quite young to be you know living together and teenagers kind of creating our own little family and I will say, like, I do think it it's hard because that was a positive experience for me. But being young and living away from your family, I think it does potentially create opportunity for young skaters without a support system. And then the people close to them are coaches. And I don't think it's wrong to have coaches be a big part of skaters' lives. You know, I've, I've had, like, mentors who absolutely, like, really, like, I'm still involved in the sport to this day because of them. Yeah, it's just tough because I feel like (laughs) I don't want it to be a thing where like coaches can't have close relationships with skaters, but just like so much goes unchecked. Also on the note of like having to go live by myself, like my family couldn't move with me. My parents both had to work um, and they both worked full time to help me support my skating. And yeah, it's just so inaccessible. And like even that, like I was lucky to have a family who could do that for me, but there's just like so many people who even with all the sacrifices their family could make, wouldn't be able to afford that. And I think some of it's at a smaller level, at the club level, different skating clubs really focusing on finding ways to keep people in the sport and bring people in the sport and creating support for their skaters. I definitely think at the level where skaters are competing internationally, they should be receiving support more than they probably do across the board. So I don't know. It's hard. I don't want to say like skaters shouldn't go, you know, follow their dreams. (laughs) Like I don't look back on it with regret, but yeah, would it have been valuable to, you know, maybe have my parents around when I was a teenager and like really getting into elite skating? Yeah, I don't know. Like probably, (laughs) probably would have been nice to have that support. I was very lucky that I had people who did support me. Yeah. And it seems like one of the things that also was helpful for you from your book was having some a bit of a life outside of skating as well. And what you shared, I've heard from a lot of skaters that sometimes that you get more of that balance and then your skating actually improves too. And that's a really interesting thing because I think so many people are afraid of any anything that's a distraction or splitting their attention in that way. But it seems like it was very a healthy thing for you. Oh, absolutely. I skated way better when I was also in school <laughs> because it's hard. I think with anything, you you don't want your whole world to be one thing. For me, a lot of it too was like, I went to public school and 
my parents were like, this is important. Like you need to keep going to school. My mom's a school teacher. And then even they were like, they wanted me to go to like college as well. And I really loved school too. So I also wanted to go to college um, and it was important to me, but like, it was important to be like, okay, my value as a person doesn't lie in like the fact that I did a perfect run through today. I'm capable. And I think that does help you on the ice. Cause if you feel like, you know, your value as a human being diminishes because of how you did an event or how practice went that day, that's putting a lot of pressure on yourself and your skating in a way that like, doesn't seem conducive to actually bringing the best out of yourself. So yeah, very valuable. I think I did it to varying degrees. I went to school like in college part-time at first to just get back into it and find that balance. Um, And then I was full-time by the time I retired from competition. So it was definitely a balance for me and a challenge, but also some of it was like, I needed to have more of life because like I was also working because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to skate. So like I, I couldn't solely do skating because I just like financially could not. It seems like good to be able to use your brain in a, in a different way, especially if you're somebody who enjoys that one skater was telling me that it was like, when I'm on the ice, my job is to not think about what I'm doing so that I can just land my jumps and I need to not think about it. So then after a day of not thinking, I need, it's like really nice to go do something really thinking. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's like a good, good balance. That is so spot on. I tell people like skating's all about like no thinking, or even when I coach, I'm like, you need to stop thinking. And I'll get some students who are like, what do you mean? Of course I have to think. And I'm like, no, a lot of skating is turning your brain off. <laughs> um, and even I think like, obviously I write. And for me, the two are really kind of intertwined and just the ways of thinking are so different. But I think when I'm not doing one and I'm doing the other, like I feel that lack. And just like if being exposed to other kinds of art, when I read, if I read about queer theory if I read about gender theory like I can bring that to the ice which is like so beautiful and I think exposing yourself like skating for me so much of it is an art form just beyond the sport and so I think understanding like other art forms and the ways people create and then being able to bring that to the ice is like my favorite part of all of this yeah that's great one of the areas that you wrote about really movingly is the struggles that you went through with an eating disorder and body image issues. And if you could say a little bit about what helped you to realize that you had a problem and to get to work through that over time. And also from a broader perspective, what we can be doing in this sport to make this less of an just it seems like such an endemic thing for especially women and especially women in pairs and ice dance. What does it look like to have a sport that doesn't push people in that direction? Oh, that's such a wonderful question. That's such a wonderful thing to imagine, like what it would look like if we didn't still carry these like dated ideas. Your first question was like, what kind of made me reflect? Like I said, I was like really lucky with the family I was living with. Jason Brown and Brittany Simpson were also teenagers in skating themselves and looked after me and like sort of saw the situation that was going on, which was like, I was in the throes of an eating disorder. They spoke to me, but just very gently and compassionately and were supportive in like all the ways that you would hope a friend would be supportive. And I had other friends as well. We're just there to love me, which is what I needed. For me, also a big thing was that, you know, that year that I was very much in the throes of an eating disorder, which I had been for a while, but that first year in Colorado Springs, it really sort of escalated, was also the first year that I experienced a lot of like elite competition. 
I was at nationals for the first, I went to sectionals for the first time. I went to nationals for the first time. And for me, it felt like I'm getting good at this. My career is like serious now, which like looking back is so sweet and cute because it was like always serious. And then also like, you know, it would grow. But I had several moments where I realized like I'm getting better at this and people are watching me. And I think it was sort of this horrific thought of like, oh, young skaters are watching me now that I'm having success. And at the time, that was disturbing enough to me where I I could feel this compassion for young skaters watching me and thinking that I was getting success. And I was disturbed by the fact that I was getting success by starving myself. And that felt wrong. And I wasn't in a place to like really hold that compassion for myself yet. But I could hold that compassion for somebody looking at me and thinking they needed to do that. And so I think that was like really a gateway for learning to like hold myself gently was just imagining the eyes of younger skaters and not wishing that on them at all. And like believing that they could have success without starving themselves. It's that imagining of the future. Like that's so crucial to like changing sort of anything. And it was very difficult. I will say also like I was a little bit older when I like went to nationals. I was about 16, 17, somewhere around there where a lot of people are much younger So I did have a little bit more agency. I understood my autonomy a little bit better than I think a lot of skaters do when they start competing at an elite level. And so I was able to like engage with that critical thought of, okay, I shouldn't, if I want to be successful, like I can make these decisions for myself as to like how I'm going to get there. And I think a lot of skaters are too young to even consider that. And so then I was in recovery from my eating disorder for, you know, a large part of my career, like for the most part when I was on Team USA. And I will say that was very difficult. Um, And I don't want to say it was like more difficult to not having an eating, but in some ways, like it was more challenging for me to like stick with recovery because the skating world made it so difficult to decide to like not engage with those behaviors. And I, I often felt like a bad athlete, even though I knew like I knew I was taking care of myself and I knew I was doing the best thing for my body. I very frequently felt like I wasn't dedicated enough frequently felt like I was, you know, not doing what I should have been doing if I wanted to be, you know, winning competitions, if I wanted to be more successful in the sport. And that has to do with it's back to coaches. It's back to judging. It's back to these ideas of what people believe an athlete looks like. And it's this deep, deep lack of creativity in terms of imagining or believing that people with different bodies can be successful and beautiful. It's so frustrating because it's just still so ingrained in the sport. I mean, also, I always feel like I need to disclose the fact that, like, I'm a very small person. Like, I don't have a large body. And, like, I was privileged in that. Like, I naturally, I'm 5'3 and, like, petite. And, like, that was a privilege. And I still felt like my body was not okay. Just, like, the range of what is allowed, what people with power in our sport allowed to be present is really horrific. It shows that people value what they value more than the well-being of young skaters and what they value more than even like what's on the ice is like people are so invested in this like illusion or this fantasy of thinness that they're willing to sacrifice children is what it comes down to. And it's very disturbing to me. I still am just like very protective of young skaters and it's been brutal. You use the word endemic and like most of my friends have experienced eating disorders to some degree and like are traumatized by being in elite skating I don't know I have a hard time pitching it like I love skating I think everyone should skate you know I think it's such a beautiful outlet it's an art form I feel really passionate about 
but it's difficult to send people into competitive skating like knowing the change hasn't happened yet yeah and just those constant messages people don't even realize how many of the words that we use to describe skating are tied up with these ideas of classical ballet thin white all of these things and it's something that I think about as somebody trying to write about skating. And I'm sure that that's something that you thought about as well. Mm-hmm. I'm often thinking, oh, how do I describe this skater in a way that doesn't play into those dichotomies of graceful versus strong? Any of these ways that we set those things up as opposites. It's so entrenched. We have to reckon with the fact that like the foundations of classical ballet and which relate to the foundations of figure skating are entrenched in these prejudices and you can love skating and like know the history which has been deeply exclusive yeah and it seems these things are all connected when you talk about gender about body image and then you also wrote quite a bit about how you struggled with injury and how to even speak up about having an injury or being able to take care of your body. And that's also sort of connected in the sense of not being able to value your own body, except for what it can do on the ice and in service of this image that's getting produced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I felt that way. And I was even in school doing it, like writing. And I was like, I, I know I'm a whole person, but I still felt like everything, my value comes back to my ability to, you know, skate a clean free dance that judging panel, what they tell me is like what I'm worth at the end of the day. And and yeah, it was really difficult. It's like a difficult place to exist. (laughs) And it does all relate. I think the injuries too, it comes back to body autonomy and like, what are we teaching young athletes about their bodies and their ability to, you know, live in their bodies and exist in their bodies as they are it's brutal there's like a wonderful instagram page i feel like i need to go look it up again of some skaters with disabilities yeah i think it's like i want to say it's called the skating body it's great they've been posting a lot of really nice content yeah because i think just even like that's a thing where i'm like still i'm out of competitive skating for years now and it is still a lot of work for me to be in tune with what is happening in my body and like respect that Definitely with injuries, a lot of it came back to the fact that I did feel like I needed to prove my worth. And I did feel like really precarious in terms of like being seen as equally valuable in my partnership. To no fault of Joe's, it is an institutional thing. And like Joe actually like has been really supportive um, and is the biggest ally I could hope for. And like we've grown together in terms of like, okay, how do we create a space for each other? Like he's like, how do I create a space for you where you feel like you're able to listen to your body. Cause even for so long, it was a skill I just like had not developed at all. And I could be in pain and I wasn't even, I didn't even consider respecting that and slowing down. That didn't cross my mind as an option that was available to me. I'm recovering from a shoulder surgery actually, like currently from, you know, the years of skating. And it's forced me to kind of take a step back and I get on the ice and I I just, I listen and I'm engaging with skating in more creative ways. I'm like, okay, if if we don't do lifts today, we'll do side-by-side skating. Like if we don't spin with this arm, we'll spin with the other arm. And just things like that, where it's still available. It's it's this expansiveness too that comes like, it's a creative practice to be like, okay, I'm going to like listen to my limitations and like find ways to engage with that. So it's not a limiting factor, I guess. It's like, to me, it's expansive to like engage with that creativity of working with these things that come up. 
When you started writing your book, did that change how you, did you sort of reflect differently on your life? Did it change how you thought about those experiences earlier on? Or had you already done the reflection before you started writing, I guess is the, <laughs> the question. Yeah, I will say, I mean, always sort of like human beings are like engaging with their memories and like processing things that happened. I will say most of the stuff in the book, most of the topics I wrote about were things that I had processed quite a bit to some degree and was comfortable with sharing with people. It wasn't like, oh, I've never talked about this and I don't know how it's going to go when I open up to a lot of people about it. Um, it was all stuff that I was like very, had talked about, had practiced talking about, had an understanding of, had reflected on a lot, had done a lot of research about. I mean, that being said, even still, like your perspective changes all the time with memoirs. And I understand like why people think this, but it's, it's different from like a journal in that like it's not so fresh like I wouldn't sit down um, and I have journals and I do journal but it's different from the book in that like that's for me and it definitely the book is like for an audience and so it's gone through a lot of process before it gets to people and it's not just like the raw feeling. Did you find it difficult to figure out how honest to be about things that were difficult with people who are still in your life. Like, I feel like if I were to imagine what would be challenging about writing a memoir, like that seems like one of the things that I know I would find challenging. Definitely. I mean, I do think it's just hard to like write about people, you know, um, and for the most part, my book, I didn't want it to be an expose. I think people have written exposés about particularly like sports that are tend to be gendered more female. Like we know there are problems. I'm a little frustrated because we know there are problems and like not a lot has been done. Um, <laughs> so I was like, exposés exist. This book is something that's not that. So I wasn't writing that particular book to be like, this is everything that's wrong with figure skating. It's a coming of age story. And so a lot of it was just like, I was following the tropes of coming of age stories. I was like, what happens in those? And you know, it's like first kisses and it's, proms and it's you know hanging out with your friends and I was using that lens to kind of go through my life and in that lens skating was involved and was there and obviously like things happened in the skating world that deeply affected me in my coming of age but I didn't write the book to like tell the secrets of like everything kind of difficult or like traumatic that happened to me I hoped the book would be more read. It's a YA book. So the audience for the most part is young adults. I wanted, you know, the potential queer young adult to pick it up and say like, this feels like me. Like this feels like the indie movie that like I love, but like that is so like a heterosexual couple or it like feels like me and my friends. And I wanted it to be like proof that even though maybe there were challenges and like difficult things that happened, especially like in regards to the skating world, I survived them. And there were like beautiful things as well. So it's not a story about trauma necessarily. Like trauma's there, but. <laughs> so in, in writing about people I knew, I really wasn't, the people I was writing that I did know, I was like writing with so much love because I was writing about people that I love. So I wasn't as worried because I was like, well, <laughs> I, I'm mostly saying nice things about them. So hopefully, but I was a little nervous about people I knew who showed up in it, but. And then as far as like coaches and judges and like other things, like I, I kept it anonymous in terms of like people in the skating world because I didn't want the attention to go to that. I just feel like that stuff gets scandalized really quickly. It doesn't necessarily matter who said it. It doesn't necessarily matter like when it happened and what event. 
frankly, like these stories are so common. It could be like anybody and it could be any event um, and these things are happening. Yeah. I mean, I, I know what you're saying about exposés and that I remember reading a couple of years ago, the book, Little Girls in Pretty Boxes, and it was from 1995. And it not only predicts everything that's went terribly wrong in gymnastics, but also skating and wow, people knew about this 20 years ago and it's still like this. Yeah, and I wish I had the answers. I mean, I'm I try to be involved. It is a little bit disappointing. I mean, on one hand, it's encouraging to know people have been trying to fix it. Like there are people who care and people have been trying, but it's also discouraging that we haven't made. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason I started doing the podcast was that I was starting to realize that there is, I think, a generation, I mean, there's people of all ages, but there really is a group of many recently retired or sort of still competing, but later in their careers, people who I think are speaking out and trying different projects and sort of saying skating has all of these flaws, but also I still love it. So what can we do with it? And that makes me really hopeful, just knowing that there are people who are trying and experimenting and seeing each other and doing that is very encouraging. You're right. You're right. I do see a lot of people um, really working in new ways. Yeah, definitely. So I, I think we are making progress and there has been progress in, I think, especially the last few years. I mean, I think about like when I came out and like how many women are out in skating now and it's like, you know, like a 600% increase. I don't know how many there are, but like it used to be zero, like there weren't any of us. And so like now with everyone, it just feels monumental. Like I still to this day cry every time like a skater comes out because it just like means so much to me. When I was skating as a young person, it's not something that I had imagined that I could be back in it. Now, as an adult, having learned a lot more about myself and feel like it is a place that that there is a space for me in it. Kind of wonderful surprise. That is so wonderful. Yeah. I did want to ask you about what you're doing now and you've been doing in the last couple of years, because I don't want to only look backwards at your competitive career. Like that's the only thing of value because you've been doing amazing things as a professional skater um, with one dancing on ice, which is amazing. And it's Cirque du Soleil and other shows. So I guess what's been some of the most rewarding parts of being a professional skater. And I guess also, you know, what's what's challenging about that life too. Oh, thank you for asking that. That's so wonderful. I love like getting to talk about like the post-competitive um, world. Yeah, so when Joe and I retired, we joined Cirque du Soleil, um, the show Axel, which was just like a fantastic experience. So wonderful. That got cut short by COVID. So that tour stopped in March of 2020. But then we were very lucky and we were able to join Dancing on Ice then later in the year of 2020 and we did dancing on ice for two years it was a really cool experience and my favorite thing about dancing on ice was probably just the magic of you know you're paired with a celebrity somebody who's never skated and like an adult who's like known for something else they're famous for other things but it was just so incredible to see like the joy of learning on the ice for the first time like it was so inspiring to me. And I was like, I need to try more new things because it's incredible how much they learn. They're turned into skaters in a matter of months. It really made me feel like, wow, like we're so capable of like learning any, like it's not too late. And I think a lot of people think that about skating, but it's like, I've watched every, all the Dancing on Ice contestants, like really pick it up and just like find the joy in that. And that really made me love skating again. It's just like seeing people do it for a sense of personal accomplishment and 
to like watch their own progress and have an outlet, um, especially like during the pandemic that first year. My partner, like we weren't able, the country is in lockdown when we were in London. So we weren't able to do other things. So like that was our outlet was like just going and, and like growing together. So that was great. Uh, I did have shoulder surgery, so I'm not back with the show. Joe and I just moved together to New York, which has been a huge dream of mine. I love New York City. So yeah, we're still like working together. We're just always together. (laughs) We live in New York. It's the best. It's like truly a dream. And right now we're, we're coaching. There's a lot of seasonal rinks here. So yeah, we're at a couple of the seasonal rinks. We're like sort of figuring it out. I should mention too, we're doing, we do a lot of work with ICANS International, um, which is a wonderful professional experience that it's really about the art of skating and ICANS International does a lot of community outreach and like works with skaters, bringing them onto the ice and doing community class. I do the community class quite a bit. Doug's great. And Neil is coaching my Paris partner and I as our, um, as our primary coach, Neil Shelton. So. Oh, I didn't know Neil was your primary coach. I love Neil. Yeah. And Doug's so wonderful with IDI. Like even this year, I was off the ice for four months, which was the longest I had ever been off the ice before, which is really hard for me. Uh, And then coming back, it was just tough because I have these like limitations that I never had. And, you know, my recovery is going to be, it's, I'm still in it. It's going to be a long process um, that I'm adjusting to. Um, but that was really wonderful because, you know, with that show, I was told, come and do what you can and like show up where you're at right now. And if that's just getting on the ice with us and being here and healing and, and just getting comfortable back on the ice again, because I was so scared. This is the other thing, like skating is scary. And I think if, if you've experienced like a really severe injury, man, I've never been afraid of the ice. And then I got back on and I was terrified of falling. And so I was given the space to just come and get adjust to the fear um, and move and be around my friends and engage with that expression. And so that was super meaningful to me. So skating with Ice Dance International whenever we can, um, whenever they're doing shows, we're doing that and then coaching at these seasonal rinks. And and I'm trying to still write. (laughs) But yeah, I was like a little bit intimidated. The first book was a lot of work and I was a little bit exhausted finishing it, but I am getting back into writing. I volunteer with a literary magazine, just like reading memoir submissions. And, you know, I'm writing my own stuff here and there and submitting little things, but... Hopefully there'll be another book someday that I'm not putting pressure on myself. <laughs> no, it sounds like you're, you're in a great place of, and lots of new, exciting things I'm sure will, will come your way. I was wondering, cause I saw you in the, in the IDI show and then I was, is she not there? And then I, I heard that you had had the, the shoulder surgery. That makes sense. And I love that, that company and um, shows like that, that really focus on the artistic side of skating and that it also shows that you can have amazing professional skaters that you don't have to have a world medal to be in that track. I've always enjoyed going to see Stars on Ice or something like that, but it's nice to have that demonstration that professional skating and the world of performing and skating can be so many other things than that too. Yeah, and it and it is. I mean, I've found that it's oftentimes more expansive. There are more opportunities for people when you leave the competitive sphere. There are so many ways to skate and like engage with skating and perform and like show up as you are. So yeah, I'm a big fan of professional skating. (laughs) I think it's wonderful. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Is there anything that you'd want to add that we didn't cover? 
No, but I think it's so wonderful. I mean, I think asking, like, like you said before, imagining what a future in the sport would look like without, you know, these restrictions, without these prejudices, without these things that have limited a lot of people. Like, I think it's so wonderful. You're asking the question of like, what could that look like? And I think for almost anybody in the sport, just like regularly asking ourselves that question is transformative because how are we going to change it unless we like envision what that future is? So I really appreciate your reminder to to do that. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated this talk. Thank you again to Karina for a great conversation. You can look at the show notes for a transcript of this episode, as well as links to many of the resources and projects we discussed. You can follow Karina at Karina Manta on Instagram. You can reach me with comments or suggestions for topics by email at fsfuturepodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram and Twitter at futurefspodcast. Remember to subscribe to the Future of Figure Skating podcast on whatever platform you use and share it with your friends.